Welcome to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. It's Wednesday Long Form Teaching. I'm Chris Danielson. Emily's not in today, so let me just intro where we're going. We're going to do a flashback to the fall of 2020. November, late November, I gave a message called God is in Control based on Psalm 139. And for many of us out there, we need to revisit this as we stare down the face of vaccine passports, of spiritually immature people who think they're mature, of just all of us wondering, is this the end? Are we facing the tribulation? Are we facing uncertainty? And I want to tell you, God is, in fact, in control. And this message was kind of a deep exegesis, if you will, a, a deep study of Psalm 139 with the idea to encourage the authentic Christian to stand firm and have joy regardless of the circumstances swirling around you. Here we go, Psalm 139 from November 2020. Uh, it's one of my messages. I'm Chris Danielson. Thanks for hanging out with us on the long-form teaching on No Apology with the Bible Idiots. And today, it's going to be a little bit different because we're going to go through the whole chapter of Psalm 139 together. But we're only going to start with the reading of the first six verses. And as we enter into 2021, there's, there's a lot of trepidation surrounding what's going on in our nation. You'd, ha you'd have to be blind with your head in the sand not to see it. And surrounding many of our circumstances and situations. And many people always want to talk about one phrase more than anything in the Christian circles, and it's this, that God is in control. By a show of hands, how many people in the last six months have heard the phrase, God is in control? Okay, that seems to be everybody. Now, is it just me, or does this sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but just sometimes, does it sound a little bit hollow? Does it sometimes come off as a little bit of a, like a self-pep talk? You know what I mean? I find myself saying similar things to my kids when I talk to them, uh, you know, or just some of the people here in, in Abilene, or some of the people that I, I reach out to on Facebook and in emails. I, I, I tend to use the term God is in control, and sometimes it, it comes back just a little bit void. And it's not supposed to. And that's what we're going to talk about today. See, even though that phrase God is in control is very true and very real, I got to thinking about what does that actually mean? If God is in control, then why do I find myself flopping between total peace and full of worry? Any, show of hands, anybody else do that? Okay, about half of you. I don't know which one of you guys are lying and which one's telling the truth. It's okay. That's between you and God who's in control. <laughs> so if God is in control, then I need to understand how God sees me. If I'm going to latch onto that as being the truth that it really is. Wouldn't that be fair? I found it really helpful to adjust my view and to get it corrected by the light of God's Word. And in Psalm 139, God gives us five truths that can help us see ourselves as He sees us. And so let's stand together and read the first six verses of Psalm 139. And today we're reading out of the ESV. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. 
You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, be with us for the next 20, 30 minutes as we look at this. And again, let it be your words who speak to your children now. And as we worship you in spirit and truth, in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. So when we look at this, we have to look at it through the lens of Scripture. And when we look at it, the first truth that I have for you in your notes, as I silence my phone, is truth number one, God knows you. Pretty basic, as we looked at the first six verses. God knows you. Look at the words that are there in the first six verses. There's the word searched, the word know, the word perceive, searched out. Some translations call it discern. Forget it. It means familiar. Yes, what he said. See, God knows you and he understands you. He knows when you're afraid, frustrated, when you wonder, how in the world, and then fill in the blank for yourself. For me, it's how in the world can someone who cannot pronounce basic words be a broadcaster? I used to have that conversation with God all the time. See, God notices what's going on with you. He knows your tomorrow. He knows what's going on with you. So when somebody says they're praying for you, when somebody says they're, they're thinking about you, you know that that might have been God leading somebody to do something for you because he knows you. See, a lot of times we, as Christians, we will put ourselves in situations that's not correct. Give you an example. A lot of times Emily and I will be watching a movie. And the husband will do something really, really bad in the movie. And Emily will just turn to me. I'm not that guy. And a lot of times we personalize scripture that doesn't belong to us. This is not one of those times. This is the time when you do personalize it. God knows you. See, the peace comes from experiencing that knowledge along with God, that, that the God showers all of that knowledge on you with a great love. When David says that God laid his hand upon him, he's referring to an Old Testament phrase that means an intimate act of blessing. Before an old man died, he would lay his hands on the head of his children and grandchildren and speak hopeful words into their lives. This ancient act had all the dignity and legal standing of a will. And witnesses of this act would testify in court that this is what the man had as far as like, like a will and testament. This blessing was and is a powerful gift from God. Fathers, the most godly thing you can do as a Christian is to lay your hand on your child and pray a blessing that God lays on your heart for that child. See, God's hand is laid upon you in blessing and protection. His knowledge of you is wrapped in his love and concern, just like a good parent looking out for the well-being of their ch children. And that leads us to point number two. God is pursuing you. 
God is pursuing you. This is about you today, not about your neighbor. See, God is pursuing you, but not only that, but God knows everything about you. Everything. And everything means everything. If you think about that for a while, what happens if you're anything like me, you kind of feel unmasked, and then you might want to run. Because the jig is up. He knows. He knows. God isn't going to let you run away. Let's look at verses 7 through 10. Psalm 139, 7 through 10, it says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Where can I flee from the presence of God? It's a rhetorical question. He already knows the answer. Nowhere. Nowhere. God, I can't escape you. And if you can't escape God and you're, and you're his child, you might as well embrace the fact that he's holding you, right? The psalmist looks for routes, heights, depths, east, west. He's always looking for ways he can get away from God, and he can't. He concludes that we can't get away from God, not geographically and not spiritually. Look again at verse 10. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Even there. See, our God is in a category that's different from anything that we can comprehend altogether. Other scriptures say his ways are higher than our ways. And when we start to live in that, different things start to happen. Verses 11 and 12 say this, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. In your devotional reading, it is so easy just to skim past those verses. Because I've got to stay on track. I've got to read four chapters today so that I can read the Bible in a year and so I can check that off my list of things to do. And instead, slow her down. Whoa, we're down a minute. Absorb verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. He knows everything about me. He knows everything else that's going on around me, and he can see it all. See, are you ready for this? You are desirable to God. You are desirable to God. God actually likes you. God is, is for you. Jesus explains his reason for coming to earth this way. He said to seek and save what was lost. The New Testament, God calls those who uh, are his, he calls them, are you ready? Beloved, chosen, holy, dearly loved. We are told that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. Nothing means nothing. You guys remember the first time someone wanted you? Like at a job interview or maybe being in junior high school and, and someone actually liked you? 
Or how about getting picked for sports teams as maybe as early as elementary school? I, I have had the privilege of being picked first multiple times and being picked last multiple times. And I hated being picked last. Why? It sucked. No one wants to be picked last. And I don't know about you, but when I was picked last, it made me want to prove them wrong. But when I was picked first, that was nice, wasn't it? You know why there's such powerful moments and they stay with us for so long? It's because inside our hearts we say, me? Really? You're going to pick me? I'm still amazed that my wife Emily wanted to be with me. I asked her out on a dare. The way we met was at a football game with about 2,000 people there, a huge high school football game in 1983. And, and I saw her, this blonde cheerleader, and we were, my, me and my three buddies, we were joking around, and they bet me 10 bucks that I wouldn't go ask her out. Because the deal was I'd go ask her out because I was the comic and I'd do anything, right? And she'd reject me really hard, and they'd all laugh. And I thought, 10 bucks is 10 bucks, I'll do it. So I walked over and asked her out. And after a consultation with her friends, she said yes. And I took that 10 bucks and, I mean, back then I think we could buy a steak dinner with 10 bucks. But I was shocked that she wanted me. And pretty much everybody has been for 35 years. You know, it's like, how did you get her? I, I don't know. Don't wake her up. She's still sleeping. Let's go. That leads us to truth number three. God says you're awesome. God says you are awesome. Now, are you beginning to get the picture to see how important you are? Are you getting an accurate biblical perception of yourself? All right, let's go to verses 13 through half of 16. It says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Don't you guys know it down inside? You know it. If you, if you know Jesus, he's, he's put that there. You know it. You know, you know, because you know. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. That's awesome. Those are strong words. Notice in verse 13. It says, For you were formed, my in, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. That's another big reason why I'm pro life, right there, because of God's incredible. Knitting me together in my mother's womb. I was alive to him. I was a being in my mother's womb. See, it's not what, it's who. It's people. It's you and me. Each human being is made in the image of God with the ability to think, love, choose, plan, dream, and care. And we are the pinnacle of God's creation, which is why we're the only 
creature that can do what we do. It's awesome. God says you're awesome. And God's creation because of you is awesome. See, microbiology has advanced to such a state that it is absolutely impossible to think that we did not come from an intelligent designer. You have to intentionally ignore facts in biology to hold an evolutionary viewpoint. Professor George Wald, Harvard University, Nobel Prize winner, he said this, I choose not to believe in God and to believe in something I know is false. Think about that. It's a choice. You can choose to believe in God or you can choose to believe in a lie. It's up to you. But I'm sorry to tell you, we all have the same evidence. It's just a matter of how we look at that evidence. And the evidence always comes down on the biblical side, which is why I have no problem being the Bible idiot. Because it's always coming down on the biblical side. And that leads us to truth number four today. God has a plan just for you. God has a plan just for you. Now, we have to take a minute, we have to stop for a second, we have to catch our breath before we go on with the Scriptures. Please do not misunderstand this as being God has a wonderful plan for your life. That's part of the false gospel narrative. The false gospel narrative that if you come to Jesus, He's going to make everything hunky-dory. Your plan that God has for you might not look like the American dream. It might not look like what the world says. And how Satan takes this fact, this truth that God has a plan for you and twists it into if you come to Jesus and you're more obedient to Jesus, he's going to set everything up for you. Just make sure you give your money to the church because that's your ticket to ride. And then you get health, wealth, and prosperity because Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. That is not what I'm saying here. Not what I'm saying here. But the truth is, God has a plan just for you. Let's pick it up halfway through verse 16. We'll go to 18. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. God thinks about us constantly. And he's got a plan for each one of us. Our days are numbered. Now, when you love something, you think about it all the time. My daughter Dana's here. When the first Thanksgiving we missed with her when she went into the Air Force, we just thought about her all the time. I couldn't wait for her to call. My granddaughters are here today. I think about them all the time, especially when we're apart. And when we're together, what do you think about? You think about the people you love, right? When you love someone, you think about what they are doing even when you're apart. And when you're, we are never out of God's sight, nor are we out of God's thoughts. He's thinking about you, your situation, fully aware of your fears and what's on your mind. That's the comfort that we get from the Spirit that says God is in control. God has a plan. 
Psalm 139 tells us plainly that God does have a plan for you. Now, you can choose to cooperate with that plan, or you can choose to ignore it. And guess what the enemy wants to do with you? He wants to have you ignore that plan and get on with your own desires. Now, in Jeremiah uh, in 27, there's a verse that's often misunderstood. It says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. The context of that verse is not for us. It's for Israel that's going into captivity. And after those 70 years of captivity, God's got a plan for them. Those are words of encouragement for people that are in captivity. So can we take that and apply it to our lives? Yes and no. Yes, we see a God has a plan for his people, and we are now his people, those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ. And so that plan to prosper us and to not harm us and to give us a future, that might be on the other side of this world. It might be in eternity, so we know we can claim that promise. But too many people falsely take this verse and they apply it to their lives now. And then if things don't work out, if things don't happen the way that they want them to, and this has been their life verse that they've built their life around, they end up disappointed. Make sense? Take a minute and absorb this now. I'm not saying that if Jeremiah 27, 11 is your life verse that you're wrong. I'm just saying put it in perspective of eternity and that God specifically is not talking to you or me. He's talking to the nation of Israel, which is going into captivity for 70 years. And he's saying, hang on, I know what I'm doing. This is for my glory. It's going to come out all right. I got a plan for you. The people that this was made to in Jeremiah 27 11, many of those people didn't see that. They died in captivity. See, we don't know how God's going to work out COVID. We don't even know how God's going to work out the election with what's going to happen in, in the coming days. And we do, we do know that there are some things that, you know, two plus two still equals four. We know that there might be trouble on the horizon for us as born-again Christians who want to live in freedom and worship freely. God knows those plans he has for us. And our job is to be part of God's plan. See, you are vital to God's plan. So in this church, putting it in context, who's the most vital people in this church? I'm going to tell you. It's our covenant partners. They're the most vital. And any of you who want to become covenant partners, come, let's talk. The next vital people in this are visitors, regular attenders and visitors. And then it's community members. See, it's all part of God's plan. When you have spiritual growth in your life, it's not for you. It's for the people that you meet, the people that you work with, the people that are in your family, near or far. Because by a spiritual osmosis, you're going to give off a spiritual stench that can be an aroma to the brothers and sisters that is so pleasing. And it can be very foul to those who have their eyes still veiled by the enemy. But don't mistake the fact that you have a plan. And it's God's plan. And either you're going to work with Him or you're going to work against Him. See, the question is, if you're vital to God's plan, if not you, then who? In your world. If not you, then who? And if not now, then when? See, God has positioned you to play and fulfill a vital role. And 
Let me give you a, a little example. First of all, if you look up handyman in the dictionary, you will never see my picture. I do a lot of things, but, you know, Emily grew up on the farm, so when we get new tools, she's really excited. I struggle very mightily in the handyman area. I try real hard, and Emily says that's cute, but that's not what a man wants to hear in that scenario. <laughs> so I installed the ceiling fan, but I lost one screw. One screw and one blade. And I'm telling you, we couldn't run that fan for more than an hour before we had to take it down and go find that other screw. One screw in a ceiling fan with five blades because it was just off enough to start making it wobble. And you know what? As we turned that fan on, the same low speed, it would start, and it would start this little wobble, and then the wobble would get worse and worse and worse, and pretty soon the whole ceiling's shaking because of one screw missing. See, there are two potential obstacles to your plan that God has for you. And when I say your plan, I mean the one God has for you, not your plan that you want God to come alongside. Those are two different things. But the plan that God has for you, there are two things. The RSVP and the commitment. Let's start with the RSVP. First, you need to invite him in and ask him to work his plan. God will not barge in and force his plan on you. Not going to happen. Simply not going to happen. Look at Revelation 3.10. You know, therefore I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who lets me in, I will come in and, and we'll work the plan. That's basically what he's saying. You can't insist on doing things your own way. We must yield. Those who choose to reject God's plan in favor of their own end up filling their hearts with stuff, but their lives then feel empty. Even Christians. I'm talking to Christians now, not to the world. If you want to have God come along and do your thing with you, and you don't yield to God's way of doing things, you can see a lot of different things going on, but there'll be this empty feeling inside. See, even when it seems that everything is going your way, there will be a loss of the shine. There'll be a, an emptiness in it. See, there's no substitute for being aligned with God's purposes. And the hardest part for us as Americans in 2020 is we're spoiled so rotten to the core that we want our plan to be God's plan. And when we yield to God's plan, He starts showing us what it might look like. Sometimes it doesn't look good. But He says, I'll sustain you through it. Do you believe God says that I'm actually in control? It takes on a little different connotation than just, oh, somebody's got this illness. God's in control. You know, this business just went south. Well, God's in control. Now, when someone has an illness, God's in control. Now, if a business goes south, God is in control. Same words, totally different meaning if you follow with what I'm getting at here. RSVP, you got to invite him in. Commitment. This is an ongoing thing day by day. Problems develop because we sometimes hold on to our world too tightly or because we apply our own wisdom and conditions to God's plan. 
Sometimes we just want God to rubber stamp our ideals. This is why it's so important to have other people of faith with you. This is why as a vision for the church, it's going to come from leaders. It's going to come from covenant partners, not just your pastor. But don't, don't think for a minute God's not going to give me a vision too that I'm going to share with you guys. But if you're not seeing the same thing, then, then maybe we've got to wait on God a little while. But if we're all seeing the same thing, then we can trust God, even if it's a big vision. Right? See, walk by sight, not by faith, is kind of the mantra that we actually live out instead of the other way around. So our commitment is going to be one where we are insistent on having God be in control. We are insistent of of God being the one who leads us, and we trust by faith. And these are subtle differences that happen. But I can see in Abilene, Kansas, that the LifeHouse leadership and the Covenant Partners are coming together under one umbrella. And you can see it. You can feel it. I've gotten feedback from multiple people who I am very confident didn't talk to each other before they shared with me what they shared. The life of Pi is going to be something that's going to be huge here. If you're new here, life of Pi means prayer initiative. We've also got a leadership initiative that we're going to actually try to help people find their place where God wants them to work. And some people, we're going to help them find where they need to be. And other people, they're not fit for that, but we're going to try to help them try that because it's going to stretch them. Why? Because that's God's plan. Why? Because God is actually in control to those who have invited him in and are committed to his plan more than their own. That leads us to truth number five today. God's world is darkened by sin. God's world is darkened by sin. Let's look at verse 19 through 22. Verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Verse 22, I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. You don't see that verse on a flannel graph at VBS very often, do you? See, this world is in darkness. If evil holds sway, regardless, the results will be disastrous. That is why we see here such a violent opposition to evil. There is an abrupt shift when the light comes into our soul. It changes everything. When you have eyes to see, the sharp contrast proves God even more. When you have eyes to see, the sharp contrast proves God even more. If we dim the lights here down to just really, really dark. In fact, let me just give you an example. I probably told, I tell the story all the time, so if I've said it before, forgive me, but Emily and I went spelunking one time. That's going into caves, and we went out to Mount Rushmore. And if you go to Rushmore, South Dakota, they have a cave there that it's really safe. I mean, it's not like we're, you know, got headlamps and pickaxe. I mean, you know, we're just tourists walking with our guide, you know. And we walk down this long, long hallway, and it gets narrow, and we end up coming into this opening, which is about, believe it or not, the size of this room. And we are down there. And in the, in the uh, 
uh, guide says, and there was 25 of us in this group, and the guy says, okay, everybody, if you need to lean against the wall, if you have any kind of vertigo problems or anything like that, please do that now. Um, otherwise, get firm footing. So we got firm footing, and he turned off the lights. And it was the darkest dark I've ever seen in my life. I held my hand right here, and I could not see it, okay? Then he took a big lighter out of his pocket, and he stood in the middle of the room, and he lit it. And it was unbelievable. That big lighter could light the whole room in that darkness. You could see everybody's face. It was, it was amazing, okay? Then something else happened. He let go of the big lighter, and there was like two seconds of darkness again, and then they flicked on the lights. And it was jarring. It was jarring. Now, if we're dealing with darkness and light, and the light gets turned on, sometimes it's jarring for you. See, when you are giving that, those eyes to see, the contrast is so apparent. And you can't stand the evil anymore. You just can't stand it. And then you just want to do what God's called you to do. And nothing else matters. And what God's called us to do with this hatred for evil that he says he's going to put in our hearts, that's basically what he says is part of his plan, is to pray more aggressively. It's to share the gospel more aggressively. It's to go to last week's text in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. I know we stayed in verse 12 most of the text, but 10 through 20, and put on the full armor of God. And what does Paul say in that text? He says, so you will stand firm. See, the Bible says that we're to believe God at his word. To believe God at his word. And that's different than, yeah, I think that's, kinda, that's pretty good. Yeah, I kind of like what that says. Well, that has a good ring to it. Yeah, yeah, I like that. No, 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 no. Neil T. Anderson in his book wrote something that is so profound. Listen to this. He said, we will not always live out what we profess but we will always live out what we believe. Belief and profession are two different things. We will not always live out what we profess. If we're professing things, things can change, different things will happen. But if you believe it, like true, authentic, biblical belief, you can't help but live it out. You can't help but live it out. And then we will never measure ourselves by what the world says. Because today is today. Last two verses, verses 23 and 24. Then search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. See, there's a battle going on for you. Why? Because God loves you. Because God has a plan for you. Because God thinks about you all the time. Because God thinks you're awesome. You're the pinnacle of his creation. So there's a battle happening. And you're in the center of it. You're not in the center of my battle. And I'm not in the center of your battle. But if you are a covenant partner or a leader here in this church, God has called me here to Abilene to be something, someone, a avenue, a person for you to help you with your plan. That's why I'm here. Coffee with Chris, it's still available. I should be seeing 15 of you a week. I wouldn't have time to write sermons, so let's rack her down a notch, but still, I should. 
the, the, the key of marriage. This is not in my notes, so Megan, get clenchy. She always gets clenchy whenever I say this is not in my notes. <laughs> but uh, Cody and Rachel are here. They just got married a week ago. I did the ceremony, but we did marriage counseling leading up, and I taught them this truth, that if you're only worried about serving your mate, and both of you are doing that, it's incredible. If you're only worried about what you're going to get out of the marriage, usually you're disappointed. And it's the same thing with us. If we're constantly looking at ways that we can use our spiritual growth to help others, or just, just be yourself and let God grow you, and you'll start impacting people. I can't tell you how many times different things have happened since I've been here. I can start naming names. You know, Bill, you've been an incredible blessing to me. David, on the stuff we've talked about, incredible. Uh, you know, Jared and Betty coming to your house that night, that, 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 that afternoon we spent together, you guys don't have no idea how that helped me with my plan that God has for me, which is to be your pastor. Now, you guys aren't the pastor of the church, but as covenant partners, you're called to something greater. You are. We know that because you read the sheet. You signed the sheet. We stood down here and talked about it in front of everybody. See, there's a battle going on, and so it's daily through faith and repentance. Daily. For those of you who wear glasses, since I wiped these off an hour ago, I could wipe them off again. They get smudged for no reason. It's like that with sin in our life. And I want to talk soon about sin, transgressions, and iniquity because they're not all the same. But that's why daily in keeping with repentance. Because what are you doing when you're repenting? You're coming and hanging out with God and you're talking to him about, look, God, I need, I need your forgiveness again today. Remember Joshua? Joshua and Caleb? This is such a great example for us as we're coming out of COVID with a clean slate. We're going to take the promised land. That's what we're doing. Let me just rephrase that in case you haven't picked up on that. Lifehouse Church is gathering together remnant believers because we're going to go take a promised land that God's going to show us. That's happening here. But for 40 years, Joshua has seen the power of God at work in so many ways. He even ventured into the promised land as a spy, and he assured Moses that they could take the land in spite of the incredible odds his people would face. Okay? Now, remember, Numbers 13 Twelve of them come back. Joshua and Caleb say, with God's help, we can take the lands. Yes, there's giants there. Ah, it doesn't matter. With God's help, we can do anything. We've watched what God's done, so we know. Ten others are convincing everybody, oh, they're so big. They're, we're, like, we're like grasshoppers in their sights. We can't do it. And they all wept and tore their clothes. And why would God bring us out here? Remember all those stories? Yeah. Well, they went and took the land, didn't they? But there were some consequences for those ten and the people that followed those ten. Okay, but now Moses is dead. And there's a void in the nation and a gap to be filled. And God speaks directly to Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, he says, Arise, go over the Jordan. No man shall be able to stand before you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. If God said that to you with your plan, what would you do? Could it be? Was it really time to cross this long-awaited promised land? Can we actually do this? Am I really ready to lead? You know, surely these and many other questions had to you know, enter into Joshua's mind. But God answered them all with a powerful command and clear promise. Be strong and of good courage. 
very courageous. Observe to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, that you may prosper wherever you go. Meditate on my word day and night, that you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua knew God's voice and he responded. He gathered the people on the banks of the Jordan and prepared to cross over and take the promised land. He told them to follow the Ark of the Covenant, watch the hand of the Lord deliver them into the land God had promised so long ago. Joshua was prepared for such a time as this. He was ready to lead a bunch of men in a desperate battle against overwhelming odds. His God had spoken, and the enemy never had a chance. And each one of you has a Joshua moment coming. And each one of you can be courageous. Each one of you can meditate on God's word day and night. For your God, your Lord, your Savior is with you wherever you go. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would love to introduce you to him today. All you got to do is be bold enough to walk up to me, tap me on the shoulder and say, let's talk. And I'll, and I'll introduce him to you. For those of you who are covenant partners, this is it. This is where we are. And we're going to move towards a time of thanksgiving in this country. And we're going to move through the Advent season. And we're going to talk about the Lamb of God coming down. But come January, we're going to get back into this. And I just ask you to, to, to surrender to God's plan and open your eyes to what it is for you. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.